Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bible, open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. That song that we just sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness, it's an amazing song, but it it, it really hits close to home for me. Uh, You guys might have, I I used an illustration about a friend of mine named Brian who lives in Kansas City, uh, does discipleship work as a pastor for a church in Kansas City. And he just had a, uh, what was Livy, Jen, four? Was she four? Livy? <laughs> um, she, was, she was four and she, she was two, three. And she just passed away. And she was born with a, a lot of, uh, like her internal organs and stuff didn't develop. And she would really wrestle and struggle to even breathe. And the further things got along, they would... You know, when she'd be in pain, they would hook, she was up to a lot of machines. Every night she'd sleep with machines on her, and she would just kind of grimace and wince and just be in pain. And uh, the only thing, and I, sometimes pastors say that, the only thing when there's like 20 things, but really the only thing, the only thing that would calm her was for Brian to go above her and sing that song to her. Great is thy faithfulness. And as he sang that song to his in pain not much longer for the earth daughter, administered to his soul as well. And that's really the picture of, of where we are and where we're going this morning is we wrestle and struggle and are frustrated and live in broken bodies in a broken world. But there's a father who sings above us. I'm faithful to you. Great is thy faithfulness. New mercies every morning for us. That's the heart of of the purpose that we're here. It's the heart of the purpose of Ecclesiastes. I want to ask you this question to kind of set the the tempo more. Have Have you ever had a day where you're so busy, you get down at the end of the day, it's time to go to sleep, and you think, wait a second, I didn't eat all day. You ever been there? I haven't. I've heard of people who have. (laughs) I really like to eat, and there's an alarm clock at 1130 in my head, and then about 6. It says, now, it's time. But I've heard that people get there, get so busy, they just, wait a second, it's 3 o'clock, I never had lunch, or whatever. That happens a lot. Um... And I think that's the point of, of all of this. We busy our lives and we forget to eat. This morning, what do you say we eat? Proverbially. I don't have any food, I'm sorry. Actually, we do. We will get to eat later. If you have your Bible, open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 10. If you don't have your Bible, there's some on the back. We'd like to give that to you. Uh, if you have a bunch of Bibles and you don't have an ESV, which is a version we read and preach from, that's our gift to you. If you don't have any Bibles, that's our gift to you. Feel free to, to grab one now or later or whatever. Um, before we get to these verses, though, let's pray. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your steadfast love. I thank you for the hope that your faithfulness and your love provide to us. 
God, I pray now that you would be with us as we engage and encounter your word in Ecclesiastes. God, I pray that the frustration and the darkness that's on the lips of Solomon and in his pen would be overcome by the hope and the faithfulness that you provide. God, I confess before you that the darkness and frustration of this world overcomes my heart so many times. But God, I pray that you would direct our attention to your hope, to your love, to your faithfulness. You are a great and merciful God. Your mercies never come to an end. And because of that, we praise you, we worship you this morning. In Christ's perfect name, amen. I don't know if you're like me, but throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, it's been really hard for me because it's really dark. And the word meaningless, vanity, shows up all the time. And I think to myself, you know what? You're right. And so I attach that to my job, meaningless. This church, meaningless. My relationships, my, my wife, my my, my, my being a father, and, and it just attacks me. And I live there. I was living there last night. I'll talk more about that in a bit. But I think it's really, really dangerous for us to just engage Ecclesiastes in small segments. And one of the things that I've really tried to do is, is end with the hope that is woven throughout here. But if there's ten parts to Ecclesiastes, nine and a half of them are darkness and frustration. But there is hope. There is faithfulness of God. There is his steadfast love. So as we read these, and we're going to read a lot. We've read some darkness. I don't think we've read darkness like we're going to read this morning. Um, But I pray that that frustration would not be like our busyness and we forget to eat and partake of the hope and mercy and faithfulness and steadfast love of our God. So let's, let's we got a, about a chapter and a half to get to this morning. So let's, we're just going to read through this and we're going to comment on some stuff as we go, all right? So buckle in because we're going to go fast. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Not much to comment on there. If you love money, you're never going to be satisfied. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also is vanity. Whenever I, I've said this throughout this this series, whenever we see vanity, I'm going to, I'm just going to translate meaningless because that's what the, the Hebrew and Greek word means there. Meaningless. Vanity is meaningless. Chasing money is meaningless. When, verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. It's good to rest when, you're, when, you, when you work hard. It's good to rest. We've talked about that a lot. We'll talk about it more as this goes along. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. What do you pursue? What do you busy your life with? What is it? For me, it's it's really hard. 
I feel like my life is complete and successful when my children are well-behaved, when my relationship with my wife is good, when there are lots of people in the, in the seats at church on Sunday morning, and I busy myself with making sure that happens. And I think that, that I have some major role, like if I fail, that's going to fail. And then when it doesn't, I, I wrestle with myself and I beat myself up. And then I, I come to grips with the fact that what I do here, the things that I choose to busy myself with, are meaningless. And whether that's right or wrong, true or lies, and, and there's some truth to that and there's some lies to that and whatever, but ultimately the place that I wind up and the place that I think all of us wind up is when we come to grips with the fact that what we do is meaningless, it's vanity, and he's told this over and over and over again in every chapter of Ecclesiastes. He says at least twice, meaningless. Systematically walks through life and everything that we busy our life with and says, meaningless. Vanity, chasing after the wind. And so we come to that point and we're face to face with the fact that our life is meaningless. And it's dark. And it's miserable. And you wind up alone. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. What is, what is your full stomach? What is it you just, you've got to have that won't let you sleep? Man, I just, I just listed them. Work, church, children, you all. Verse 13. There is a grievous evil, not just an evil, but a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. In other words, what we labor for, we attain, and then it injures us. What we busy our lives with, even if we get it, it hurts. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. Whatever it is of this world that you cling to will be dust one day. Do you realize that? Do you act like that? Do you prioritize your life with that knowledge? That it can be taken from you like this. And he is father of a son, and he has nothing in his hand. Verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came. He shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. That's... Do you connect with the darkness of that? We get to spend roughly 70 years on this planet. And we take nothing with us. What about your, your great-great-grandfather? What do you, what do you, let's just think about him in heaven right now. What do you think he's, he's wishing he'd done with his life? Wish I'd planted that other field of corn like I was thinking I would. Do you think he's thinking that? No is the answer. What do we busy ourselves with? 
when, and when we do this, we come face to face with the darkness of this earth, with this life. Verse 16, more grievous evil. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness in much vex, vexation and sickness and anger. I'll tell you in a little bit why that verse is a brick across my face. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, in sickness and anger. Do you see the, the darkness here? Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting. Here's this little half a percentage point of, of hope. He's coming. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given for him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. This is really confusing to me. Is it a gift of God? Is it toil? Is it weary? Is it meaningless? Is it, I don't understand. Verse 20, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. Okay, that's enough for sunshine and hope. Let's get back to darkness. Verse chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is meaningless. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. My heart weeps a lot because I, my wife and I have had two miscarriages. And, and it's, it's hard. It's difficult. And I, and I know the pain that's associated there with, with death inside of your womb. And here's Solomon writing under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit the wisest man who ever lived, writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, saying that if we busy our lives with, with what we think is important, and we wrestle, and we struggle, and we labor and strive after vain, meaningless things, it's better off for us to be stillborn, dead in the womb. 
the depth of this darkness is hard. Verse 4. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. And in darkness its name is covered. He's talking about the stillborn child there in the womb. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. And in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. I get the sense as I'm reading this and I'm really confused that somehow in the midst of, of this confusion and what to make of work and toil and purpose and direction and pain and what to make of all this stuff, that somehow God intends for us to be at rest, at peace, exhaling at his feet. Somehow, and I'm, I'm just, can you see I'm, I'm wrestling with this with you? <clears throat> Go back to verse 5. Moreover, it is not seen the son, talking again about the stillborn child, or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do we all go to the one place. Verse 7. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Another simple, quick, pithy saying from Solomon. All of the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Man, the alarm clock's going to go off tomorrow morning, and I'm going to go and labor, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to be frustrated, and I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to be joyful. And I'm going to hurt, and I'm going to have a smile on my face. I'm going to get right back up on the treadmill. And in a month or a week or 24 hours, I'm going to come face to face with my darkness and, and see darkness as purpose. And not rest. And not peace. All of the toil is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also vanity, a striving after the wind. Verse 10, whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he the more words the more vanity the more he pursues purpose and meaning the more he realizes there is no meaning that's what he's saying in verse 10 verse 11 I'm sorry the more words the more he tries and strives and labors 
and toils, the more he realizes meaningless. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what good, what is good for man while he lives the few days of his life which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Darkness, darkness, darkness. And it's frustrating. Flip to Psalm 131. I want to read this psalm to you. C.S. Lewis says this is a short psalm to read and a long psalm to understand. It's three verses. In this meaningless, frustrating, dark world, this might be really good to memorize or to speak to yourself every morning. Sometimes we pass by the first part of Psalm. Do you see what it says up there? A song of a sense of David. Sometimes we skip by that. We don't think that's, that's important. This is a song of a sense of David. This is something that God gave, God gave to David when he was in a really dark place to bring him from that. Do you know what ascent means? It means to rise up. A plane makes its ascent. It takes off, gets up into the air. It was low, now it's high. This psalm, its purpose is given by God to you to ascend. And we've just read darkness. Don't, don't miss this little preamble to the meat of this psalm. A song of a sense. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I think what this is telling us in the midst of, of who we are and where we are, we engage Ecclesiastes and we engage all the darkness and frustration that it brings to us because it has a design, it has a purpose. For you to engage with the fact that life and what you do and the difficulties and hardships therein are frustrating. There's a purpose in that. And the purpose continues in Psalm 131. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. After engaging and encountering all this meaningless, all this dark, all this frustration, all this lack of hope, all this lack of peace, all this stuff. The song of a sense says, I have stilled my quieted soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Um, the picture here, a weaned child, let me read this definition of, of what a weaned child is in this setting. One who has sought, found, and had its fill, and is no longer in need. Say that again. One who has sought, found, and had its fill, 
and is no longer in need. Last week, during response time, Mike and Rachel walked to the back. Rachel's holding Easton. And Jen walks back there and says, can I hold Easton? And one of the things Jen was trying to do while holding Easton was to keep his mind, his, his, not his mind, his eyes off of his mother. Because Easton knows where his comfort is. He knows where his satisfaction comes from. So Jen wants to, to, to hold Easton to give Rachel a bit of a break. And so Jen can, you know, she loves holding babies, all that stuff. But in order to do that, she has to distract Easton from his mom. And that's the job of this world is to distract us from the place where we find our fulfillment and our satisfaction and our rest. And here's the enemy speaking lies to you. You are worthless. Your life is worthless. There are better things for you to do. You can do these things better. You're a terrible dad. You're a terrible pastor. You're a terrible husband. You're a terrible whatever it is. That is the picture of someone taking you and taking your eyes away from the place that brings you your satisfaction. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, insert this, O people of God, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Helpless and content is the place of this weaned child. Helpless and content is the place where we find ourselves. Do you see the, the dichotomy of that? We are completely helpless. That's the job of Ecclesiastes, is to put us in that place where we see ourselves completely helpless. But here we read that we're not just helpless, we are perfectly content. My soul is at rest. My soul is content. My soul is at peace. A child at the mother's breast is an image of complete helplessness. A child at the mother's breast is an image of contentment. D.A. Carson says this, Just as a weaned child is content simply having his mother's presence, so the faithful worshiper is content with God's presence even when there are many things he would like God to explain. Is your heart ever there? Dissatisfied with God because you don't know what, whether or not the next step you take is going to be on solid ground? But you take it anyway? We have talked about the theme of this book being the necessity of fearing God in a fallen and, and therefore frustrating world. 
Uh, here's where Ecclesiastes 5.17 breaks me down. Let me read it for you again. Moreover, all the days he eats in darkness in much vexation and sickness and anger. Um, last night, I knew I was going to be preaching this and it didn't matter to me. Last night, um, I think I yelled. When I say yelled, I mean like yelled at everybody in my house. And I was really overcome with anger. And I saw my, you ever, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I can escape and, and watch myself being ridiculous. You ever been there? Can I have some affirmation, please? <laughs> and that's, that's where I was. But it didn't matter because the anger and the frustration that was in me because I saw myself with, with Cooper and with Hannah and with Mia and with Jen and just uh, rage and anger, passionate rage and anger. And I, I watched that happen and I didn't care because I wanted to be angry because I was coming face to face with the frustration and meaninglessness of this world and this earth and this presence and my existence. And my response to that you know what it was? Put on my jacket and walk. Alone. Darkness. Cold. Anger. Those were my friends. And, and as I sat on a Jeske Park bench, I was that escape and, and the gospel in me preaching to my heart and preaching to myself and me trying to push it away, wearing armor, not allowing the, the darts of the gospel to penetrate into my heart. That's, that's where I was. I came face to face with the fact that I am, in fact, a failure as a father. I am, in fact, a failure as a husband. I am, in fact, a failure as your pastor. It's truth. But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. It's got nothing to do with you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Even in your darkest, most meaningless, most vain place. His mercies never come to an end. Do you believe him? Do you believe me? Truth of God speaking to your heart in a frustrating and confusing and dark world. It's the truth of God. Please listen to me. Please understand. God gives you hope. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give your soul rest. He doesn't want you to only see yourself in anger and not change. He wants to give you what's needed to repent and, and leave and turn from your anger. He wants to do it. And he offers all that's needed. Everything. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my pain of being alone in a park bench, cold and dark and angry. 
Don't follow that picture, that illustration. See where it gets you. And the beauty of all of this is, the meaningless of all of the darkness of this planet, all the darkness of this earth, is I came face to face with the wonder and holiness of God. His peace and his rest. And I went back home and my son still doesn't listen. And he still doesn't make his bed. And I still have to tell him to take the trash out five times. And I wind up taking it out. And all of these things are still true. I'm still angry. But I have a sure and steady hope that's an anchor for my soul. And without the meaninglessness, without the darkness, I don't see the beauty of God. Psalm 51 tells us, let the bones that you have broken rejoice because they cause us to see the beauty of God. Get your mind off yourself and onto him. But I have stilled my quiet and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O people of God, hope in the Lord. from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. Lord, I pray that the darts of your gospel, our helplessness, our sin, this frustrating world, would cause us to look to you for our peace, for our rest, for our contentment. God, I thank you for the beautiful picture of a child at his mother's breast, satisfied, at rest, and at peace. God, I pray that the gospel would penetrate into our hearts. God, you would use our doubt and our frustration and our pain to show us your beauty. And we would respond in worship, respond in obedience, respond in love. God, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.